Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is your Maxis Tyres post-race show for the incredible 2022 World Championships here in Leger. Maxis have a huge history with racing and are the tyre brand that comes to mind when you think about performance. So it's no surprise then that Maxis have won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup downhill and EWS racing. Whatever you need, Maxis have got you covered with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. I spent a good chunk of this year using the Asagai 2.5 Max Grip in their new XO Plus casing up front, combined with the DHR Double Down Max Terra on the back. It's a real popular combo for good reason. I find that it gives insane grip in the turns, but it provides really great braking traction too, so you can scrub off that speed when you really need to. Having this support from Maxis means that I can be at some of the rounds in person to sit with the awesome Chris Kilmurray, Nika Mullally and Elliot Jackson to bring you the best and the most in-depth racing coverage possible. Maxis are giving away some awesome merch bundles throughout the season. If you want to get your hands on one, then just share this podcast episode on your Instagram and tag me at Downtime Podcast and at Maxis Bike and we'll choose a lucky winner. You can check out the entire range of Maxis tyres over at Maxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxis Bike. All right, Leger delivered an insane world championships with incredible action from riders pushing the absolute limits to chase those rainbow stripes. So it's time to sit down with the awesome Elliot Jackson and Nika Malali to get all the in-depth info on what went on. All right, Elliot Jackson, Nico Malali. We had an absolutely insane day for the World Cup. Well, no, sorry, for the World Championships even here in Leger yesterday. Um, plenty to get stuck into. Elliot, first up, how was the uh, after party for you? A cracking open can of cold Coca-Cola as we speak. I feel like that should be a brewski, an ice cold <laughs> cruiser. I'm feeling relatively rough. Uh, it was a big, big, big night. Um, I think appropriately a big night after that. I mean, seeing the fans and stuff like that (laughs) swarm the finish, I guess. It was just, it it was a once in a lifetime thing. It was for sure. Yeah, Nico, you came down and checked out what was going on in town as well. It's pretty crazy scenes even after the race, like many hours after the race. Yeah, for sure. There were so many people here and so many people stoked for the race and seemed like it didn't stop from the minute Amari crossed the finish line to uh, this morning when the sun came up. <laughs> and you know, it's funny too, we were talking about it where Mount St. Anne, there was a lot of people, but here everyone's fans, like even coming in this morning, there were still people outside the specialized pit, just like trying to, you know, get a, uh, get a picture or a glimpse at a bike or whatever. And last night people were crowding around the anti-doping tint you know like most people don't even know where that is and there were fans there like waiting for Loic and and Amory and stuff like that yeah I mean those guys had to be in a little police buggy escorted across the village which which they were then surfing on the roof of I think (laughs) (laughs) insane I've never seen a race like it where the police have got to hop on and try and protect the uh, the riders on the hot seat and fight off Sven, Sven Martin trying to get the killer shot so yeah I can't wait I've already seen some pretty outstanding images from uh, from that, Boris posted something earlier, which was just wild. Like I, I don't know how you capture that, but yeah, insane scenes. Let's let's go right back to the start of the week, um, Nico. Talk us through your thoughts on the track when you first saw it for for track walk on Tuesday, which is a day earlier than we normally do with the new schedule for World Champs. Yeah, I was surprised how much they changed the track this year after it being a completely new track last year. So probably forty percent of it was different just sections here and there they moved the line completely um 
not just moving a pole, but like moving it a whole trail width to the side where we weren't using the old track anymore. And it, I, I think they took feedback from what worked and what didn't last year. And we're like, oh, this section was challenging or cool, but it could be better and made a better section for the race this year. So there was a couple of flat, awkward spots at the bottom in the World Cup 21 that they improved, rerouted the course to make it flow a little better, um, but still be challenging natural sections. It, was, it just had some like weird kind of flat spots in it before where um, it didn't have those this year. So yeah, I thought they did an awesome job. Um, and then I heard that the owner of the property logged the last section where it was steep. So they couldn't, I, I guess they put those berms in there because the old trail was destroyed. Um, so that changed it up a little bit. That steep section was all natural and I thought one of the most fun parts of the track last year and this year they changed it up and put those berms in which it, it was cool it was definitely uh, made the track have a little of everything but um yeah really good all-around track and then the yeah the weather kind of was perfect all week it was pretty dusty the first two days got a little rain after quali on that second practice day and then uh for finals it was dry but like not I think the rain helped a little bit, so the conditions were yeah. really good. So it took a little while for the lines to kind of sort themselves out, right? I think because it was so so dry, like stuff wasn't kind of packing in. Maybe is that what you think was going on? I heard riders in the first like A practice asking what the B practice riders had been doing because they were like, "There's no lines here yet." Yeah, some of those new sections were just completely raw and didn't really see like, seem like there was any good option like there was a, a a lot of choices but it wasn't clear which one would be the best and uh yeah it kind of just got to wait and see where ruts develop and even from the b practice the a practice always sets in better ruts so uh yeah it it, it burned in but it being so fresh and dry it was pretty loose yeah in that first session definitely elliot what sort of feedback were you getting from riders you spent a bit of time on the hill looking at the track and chatting to uh, chatting to the athletes yeah i think um like nico said it was uh it felt like a, like such a new track because even though it went down kind of the same route the the lines and stuff were really different and here at world champs the thing that always stands out to me is like how many line coaches and stuff like that there are. And even the, the riders, you know, you had like Joe Breeden up here who wasn't on the British team, but he was out there spotting lines, taking video. There was one point kind of up at the top, one of the first new sections, um, kind of do the road gap, right, left, and there was a split line. And in practice, it looked like there was a crowd, but it was actually all line spotters. Like it was all, you know, teams and stuff like that, just trying to figure out the line. So I think here, and I think one of the things that did show in finals was how many lines there were, because usually a track gets figured out and we have, when you have that many eyes on it and stuff like that, for there to still be alternate lines and things in the final was, was really good. But I think everyone was just stoked on it you know everyone was just like this is an awesome track it's so good i think they put a lot of like love and care into building the track they take a lot of pride in uh in building the track so yeah it, it was it was really good really really nice track 
Yeah, they've done a great job on it. And there was a lot of analysis going on. I, I saw into the British Cycling Team WhatsApp and saw some side-by-sides and some really cool analysis in there. But I, sp- I definitely spotted a few nationalities put, even putting little light gates on the track and doing some accurate timing, which was pretty funny when ride, one of the riders decided to stop right in front of the beam and uh, you could just hear it beeping incessantly <laughs> as all the riders were going past and no data was getting produced. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, espionage uh, going on on the track. Pretty cool to see. Nika, there was this ongoing threat of rain all week, which, um, which luckily didn't really manifest on race day and, and we had like a, a fair race for everyone, which is what we all wanted. But it definitely, there was a lot of talk about it all week. A lot of riders knew that there was a chance of it. We got some on Friday, obviously. Does that play into your head or other people's heads? Like, are you looking at, okay, well, this is the line, but if it's going to rain, I'm not going to get much practice probably was the forecast. You weren't going to get a lot of wet practice, so I need to look at wet lines as well. Yeah, that's something that I did for sure. Um, The forecast looked like it was going to be wet on the Friday and Saturday. So... um, the first two days before quali, I, I rode the dry lines and then I walked the track after the quali run and was looking at what worked and what didn't that day. And then also a plan B in case it was wet. There uh-huh. was a lot of steep natural sections with roots crossing. So looking at places where there might be a line that's further out of the way, but more support mm-hmm. in case it was wet. So you weren't crossing those routes. Um, so yeah, just... I think for sure probably all the riders had a strategy like that yeah and that that rain did come and I guess give you some opportunity to test those things out but was that practice session almost kind of null and void because the conditions of that session were very different I guess to to the race and to the rest of the week it it, in the beginning of that session it was pretty slick but Uh by the end it was pretty similar to how it was on Saturday okay dried up pretty quick yeah the first time we dropped in there was just some spots were bone dry and dusty like it didn't even rain where the tree, the, the rain didn't get through the trees. And then other spots, it was like ice. <laughs> and quickly it turned around because it stopped raining like right about one o'clock when it started. When the practice started, the practice was one to four. So the first run was slick and then by four it was pretty good again. Yeah, nice. Okay, cool. Tell us a bit. Oh, go on, Elliot. Uh, no way, we can see each other. Um, <laughs> I was slow. Um, one of the things too about the... The conditions were in the morning of finals day. It seemed like it was a lot more slick than everyone expected it to be. Yeah. I was kind of at the finish line just watching riders come down and everyone was like, man, that is slippery. And we had, I took notes actually and like how many people had crashed. Uh, there was a turn, a right-hander before the road gap. And I think probably like at least seven or eight people crashed in. It was like Tebow and Bernard and... I think George, uh, Ethan Craig, like everyone, yeah. you just came down and you saw them on the right side. And then Finn as well, um, kind of in a pretty pretty nasty spot to crash. He uh, he fell and, and hit his head, like kind of crunched it on a root. Um, and he's, he's all good, but, you know. That's what put him out of Yeah, finals, that's what right? put him out. And, yeah. you know, that was in that first practice or the practice before finals day. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, so I think it was an interesting one knowing that your finals run was going to be a lot more dry. Yeah, Because yeah. the the um, the schedule was is so late here. Normally, yeah. like, top guys go down around three-ish. And here they went down, what, like five? Nearly five, yeah. Yeah, so you had, uh, you had a practice in the morning and then you have, 
you know, four or five, six hours before your, yeah. your race run. Kind of the, the oddest one was for the elite women, I think, because they had that practice early in the morning with junior as well. But then they have a 15 minute slot before the guys at around lunchtime before the afternoon run. So they had like an hour or whatever in the morning of fairly wet, I guess, because there was the heaviest rain fell late in the evening on Friday. And then they get this one little slot where they're all crammed in to try and get down and do one run before. So it was a bit mixed for them. Like, yeah, a bit of an odd. It's a, this week, more than anything, I think they were, you know, you're always like thinking about prediction about what is going to happen on finals day. And I was actually talking to, uh, to John Aaron's mechanic and he was, he was talking about that, right? Like where you have this extra day of practice and, and so many times you do like a, uh, you know, a qualifying run. You're like, ah, I was a little bit off. I, I wish I could have done that. And now you have this extra practice day to kind of reset. But each day was a little bit different uh-huh. where you're optimizing for a dry track for qualifying. And then you have this wet track. So you're kind of like optimizing for that. And then you have, you know, kind of a in-between track, I guess, like pretty good track for finals day. And you can't necessarily just say like, oh, I'm going to completely optimize for like the conditions I think will be there because you, <laughs> yeah. you have to get up to speed. You don't know what the conditions are going to be. And so, you know, you, you have to ride the track as it is. You can't just say, oh, I'm only going to practice wet lines or only going to practice dry lines. Yeah. Yeah, super tricky for everyone. Nika, tell us a bit about bike setup for the week. It's a pretty high-speed track now, probably a bit, a bit faster than uh, than last year's version, perhaps. What were, you, what were you searching for in a setup? Yeah, this one's interesting because there's not a lot of rocks on it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's rough with uh, compressions and roots, but you don't have, like, the rocks that I've learned can destroy your bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, I was able to go a little bit softer on, on tire pressures. Like sometimes I run my tire pressures harder than I necessarily want to for protection. Mm-hmm. Um, but here there wasn't really those rocks that were going to crack your rim or, or, or give you a hard time, yeah. give you a flat. So, um, yeah, I, ran, I was able to run my tire pressure a little bit lower. And then we ran the, the data acquisition system for qualifying. Okay. So it was cool to see on a full run. It's, it's tough because, like, to get an accurate picture from that, you want to do a full run at a pretty good pace. Mm-hmm. But normally at a race, you want to look at lines, and there's not that many opportunities to do a full run, or especially to do more than one full run. Yeah. Um, so here, we use it for the qualifying run. There's 80 guys going through. We thought it'd be safe to, to run it. Um, normally, like, you don't want to risk if, if you do crash and the sensor breaks or something that yeah. ruin your run, um, something hanging off the bike. So anyway, we ran it and noticed that we were using more fork travel and getting a lot of uh, compression speed in the okay. fork yeah. more than more than normal. And I think it's because it's a pretty fast track with some, especially in the conditions, with some steep sections under braking that are definitely pushing more um, forces to the front end. Uh-huh. So we ended up going uh, adding air pressure to the fork and. We got similar full travel going up in pressure, but it just reduced the the this compression speed. Yeah, and so you're not blowing through. Kept the mid sp- mid stroke up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that seemed to be a good thing. I was I'm normally on 96 with the 40, and we went to 99. So yeah, pretty firm. But um, 
yeah, seemed seem to work well, especially with, with grip like there was. Um, you can go firmer and not feel like the bike's stepping out for me. Yeah. So, um, did you, Nico, um, run a similar setup to Mount Saint Anne? I feel like a lot of the people I was I talked to were saying that they didn't really change much from Mount Saint Anne to here. I didn't change much, but in in Saint Anne, like even, I mean, obviously I had trouble with my breaking a wheel, but I I went up in pressure because I was afraid of that um, more than I wanted to for rim protection. And then here, I was able to run lower pressure, not being afraid. Like, I didn't think, the, you're not really going to crack a rim or, or get a flat on a route, but, like, the rocks in St. Anne are pretty pretty brutal. Were you on the trusty Maxxis DHR2s? That's your normal go-to front and rear. It was, but with it being so dusty, I was on the Asagai front, okay. DHR2 rear. Yeah. And um, I ran the Asagai with the cut, like, intermediate knob the one that's between the side and, and center knob. and it makes it really dig in on soft dirt well yeah but i think maybe, why would you run that like a cut as a guy instead of a dhf um that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> i think the as guy is a bit more aggressive and has like the profile of it What's nice about the Asagai is it is you can like lean it over more and it feels like it doesn't um like it's more predictable when it's gonna lose grip. Whereas the DHF is more of a square tire and there's a bigger channel. I guess when I cut the channel out then it kinda makes it closer to that. But the profile of the Asagai is like nicer for leaning. It feels like the front end that is gonna break loose after the rear with the Asagai on the front. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of, I don't race the DHF a lot, so I try to keep my uh, options to like it what would make sense to like do some stuff to a tire that you're super familiar with, then like try to switch tires kind of thing. Yeah, and and very well like the DHF could have been a good choice yesterday, but uh, I try to stick with stuff that I ride a lot just to be more familiar with it. But, um, yeah, good point. Would you ever go to a shorty in that kind of dusty conditions, or do you want the volume that an Asagai or a DHR, DHF gives you? Um, I, I definitely would like the volume. Like, if it didn't have the roots, that's where the shorty kind of feels like it sacrifices a bit on the roots. Yeah. Whereas the, the bigger volume tires with more rubber contacting the ground are are just better going across those and then there's a lot of them on the track too it's yeah not, it's not just one like one section so uh i did ride the shorty on the friday practice even though it probably wasn't necessary i just wanted to get a feel for it in case i needed to go to it yeah if it was going to be wet on race day was that front only um i ran it front and rear okay. and then i actually ran it on just the rear for, for braking yeah and um, yeah, it was good. I just felt like with the condition, it wasn't necessary. So yeah, went away from it. But play. yeah, the cut guy was a mm. interesting choice. I think if it was more dusty, it would have been good. But uh, and it wasn't bad. But I probably could have either run it without being cut or run the DHR two on the front. Yeah, which is all a lot of people doing. Okay, fair enough. Was that the first time you've tried it cut? I raced it in Andorra as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think actually I raced it at the test event in andorra and then for the world cup in andorra i raced it that's the guy without cutting it. okay yeah 
Cool. Yeah, I've never heard anyone doing that before. It's a bit different. Let's talk about qualifying because it's a, it's a kind of a, a different kettle of fish here. So top 80 for elite men. So there is like a bit of pressure there, certainly for some riders that, that are going to make that cut quite challenging for them. I think there were only as many women here as there were spots. I think there's 40 spots, so there's less pressure for them. Elliot, how were people approaching qualifying? Were you hearing kind of different takes from different riders or was everyone trying to put a marker down? Yeah, I think it was an interesting one. It kind of feels to me like in between a time training and a qualifying run uh-huh. where there's no there's no points to be had. Um, but at the same time, you want to see where you're at. You want to put a fast run down. Um, and like Nico was saying, you know, there's so many spots that, you know, even with a big mistake or whatever, you could still get in if you weren't protected. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it felt, it was interesting. Um, I think we, we saw a lot of people do well in qualifying and then not do as well in the race. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a big switch up. Yeah, so, one of the four converted. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think qualifying at, at Worlds is is really different and I think the thing that I heard so much from kind of all the top men and women was about this kind of progression of around how do you how do you peak on race day yeah and so you have like an extra day of practice and so you, you know maybe normally you would be going a little bit faster in qualifying before you know the, the final day and the next day but now you have an extra day so I think a lot of the the top men and women weren't quite up to speed Mm -hmm. they were kind of like a a little bit like a slow burn kind of thing where you're you don't want to get up to speed too fast because going you know race pace for 10 12 runs or something like that is just too much uh and then at the same time you don't want to get stuck in a a gear that is too low yeah so yeah I, i don't think yeah i don't think a lot of people pushed it too mm, much uh, and a lot of people like like Loic, Loic and Loris being injured and same with Cammy, like didn't really um, and Laurie actually he, he didn't even break the beam or he just broke the beam because he was feeling feeling a bit sick so it was kind of actually being at that one uh, saying I'm just gonna kind of <laughs> use this one run for world championships yeah yeah interesting i spoke to valley after after the race yesterday though and she was saying because she was best part of eight eight or nine seconds back off miriam in qualifying she said it's the first race this season she's not felt like she could win Mm. i thought it was really interesting to hear from her like that that she's had that confidence all season but that time really spooked her and she she wasn't sure where she was going to go find it so makes the the outcome of the event kind of even more interesting let's um let's chat then a little bit about some of the the crashes that went down in that qualifying session both Thibaut Duprello and Jackson Goldston crashed in basically the same spot um losing I would say about four seconds from kind of watching helmet cams and things like that which would have put both of them in in that first spot is it is it hard Nico when you've like had a crash like that to to refocus or does it actually sort of help in that you can kind of justify to yourself well i would have been fastest like it's there how does that fit psychologically i think it gives them confidence like if they can watch the crash tivo was only two and a half seconds back with yeah. that crash and i think you can say they or he can 
convince himself that he would have won if he didn't do that. So I would I would guess that he's got to take confidence from that, um, especially if you can point to like one thing that you can do to majorly improve. It it always gives you that hope that like oh yeah I'll I'll be right there without this mistake. So yeah I think I I, I was really expecting big things from Tebow based on that that ride and that result and the winning the race here last year so. yeah wasn't wasn't to be let's let's chat about the racing then so we'll start with the junior women we've had a an ongoing battle between gracie hemstreet and um and phoebe gale this season which was looking to carry on but isabella yankova seemed to find that form that's not been quite there for her all season and she uh she took the qualifying win so it was kind of all to play for but unfortunately, Phoebe Gale had a had a crash pretty high up the track, which sort of finished her her hope. So it was an interesting podium in the end. But incredible to see uh, a Colombian in third spot, Valentina Roa Sanchez. Do you know much about her, Elliot? It's not a name I I've come across this yeah, season. Yeah, no, I, I know her a little bit. Um, one of the my friends uh, has the Pro Builds Racing team from uh-huh. the U.S. and he supports her. Um, and I saw her racing when I was at the Continental Champs in Costa Rica and. She was, I think, second overall in elite as well. And then, um, and yeah, she's been steadily improving all season. She's a first-year junior. And, yeah, George, who runs the Pro Builds team, says she has a lot of a lot of potential. So it's cool to see her get on the podium. I know that he put a lot of support out for her all season, and to see him get a medal at Worlds is pretty cool. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah bronze medal at, at uh, World Champs in your first year junior is not a bad way to, to round out the year, so hopefully that's a good bundle of confidence and some good experience. And then Gracie Hemstreet just couldn't quite find the pace, looking good on the bike all week, but wasn't quite enough. She took the silver. And then Elliot Jenner Hastings took that uh, first win, Made, saved it till world champs I with a <laughs> with a thumb strapped up from an injury she's been carrying for a little while pretty wild huh yeah like i i think it was in qualifying she uh she was saying i guess the officials didn't like call her up or something like that and emily siegenthaler uh who is uh helping helping the pivot team she was she went up to the starting line and they were like, All right, Jenna Hastings, DNS and she was like, Oh no, 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 no and then like Jenna got into the starting gate, like didn't have her gloves on, didn't have her helmet on, whatever, <laughs> and like threw her, her brace off and she was saying, you know, she just like barely got out of the starting gate, ended up winning the first split and qualifying. Uh, but yeah, like you were saying, she's she's had that like bum wrist, thumb. Thumb, I think, yeah. And uh, yeah, like it's been it's been cool seeing her kind of progress and mature throughout the season. I remember at Fort William, I think it was, we did an interview with her for the Red Bull YouTube video and she like, you know, two words, whatever. And now, you know, she's, she's such a pro like vlogging and stuff like that. So I think she's like gained so much confidence kind of, there is a skill level to racing to the schedule of racing world cups and, and the mentality of racing world cups. So I think that has been a really big thing. You know, this was her like first time away outside of New Zealand, stuff like that. So it's been it's been great. I think like that environment that uh, Bernard's put together is really nice. It's been really helpful for her. And yeah, to win worlds is insane. I think uh, Gracie. I don't think she made any 
big mistakes. Sorry at the bottom, she's kind of just like disappointed a bit. Um, and there is a lot of pressure. You know, she's just got that new Red Bull helmet yeah. and, you know, your worlds and, you know, everyone's talking about that and, and uh, you know, how you can be world champion. So I think that's definitely something, especially for the juniors, that is uh, is different, uh, getting used to that pressure. So I'm I'm stoked for Jenna. She, she was just running around all after the race <laughs> with the world championship jersey on, as I would be too. Uh, yeah, yeah, world champ. No You've got to claim that one for sure. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the the junior men. Unfortunately, Lockie Stevens McNabb had a had a huge uh, earlier in the week. I think a broken wrist and I think T seven, um, but apparently he's he's okay in good spirits. But he's the, I guess the the third place challenger a lot of the time this season. So it's a shame to not see him in the racing. But it left that Jackson Jordan battle to to continue, um, and Jackson looked incredible all week as did Jordan they've been like fag fag paper between them all year and unfortunately for for Jackson it wasn't the dream world champs run for him he he had a crash in the top section and was still only 0.6 back which in itself is pretty mad he said he basically thinks he took the took that sector apart Um, but then had a fairly big crash further down pedal clipped uh, like a lump of mud and and spat him out a little bit and uh, and ended up way back but he seemed Seemed pretty chipper about the whole thing. Have you seen him since? Yeah, I uh, I saw him. I saw him around at the Santa Cruz pit, and yeah, he seemed all good. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where you want to win your last year junior. Yeah. It's kind of like a yeah, I don't know, rite of passage for a lot of the juniors that have came came up. Is that last junior world championship? Um, but you know, he's got the World Cup overall wrapped up, and you know, Jordan's. Obviously stoked. I saw Will Longden, team manager of Saracen. He was he was super happy. So it was good to see see that battle kind of play out as as it did. You know, one person winning the world championship and one person winning the World Cup overall. Yeah, this is it. He uh, I spoke to his dad earlier in the week to, to Jordan's dad, and he was saying how much Jordan wanted this win. Like he was he was pretty uh, pretty intent on getting it and getting some redemption for for not taking the overall. Impressive performance, hey Nico from Jordan. Like not just today, but again all season, and a threat to, to all of you guys for next year. Yeah, for sure. And and as we were saying, when we went up for our first practice, which was after the junior race, the the top woods was a little slicker than we thought. Like every rider was saying that. And he raced an hour before that and did a pretty smoking time, considering. So, yeah. Awesome ride by Jordan. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I think he'd have been in the top 20 elite men's times pretty much, which uh, given that the the course was drying a fair bit throughout the day is is pretty impressive. So yeah, congratulations to to Jordan and to Jenna. Awesome way to, to wrap up the week here. Let's move on to the women's racing. Um, Elefinora looking fast all week. Unfortunately, uh, a bit of a crash for her on the day left her seventh, but a rider that's going to be pretty hungry for a home race next weekend in, uh, in Val d'Isle. Yeah, she, um, she's been on fire, I feel like, this whole season, kind of making that jump from, we kind of talk about it in the women's, from like the, I don't know, fifth through eighth to that top, you know, one through four, where she's she's been in touch, uh, you know, almost in touch with with some wins. And I think that that's a really big deal. She seems to be in really good spirits and, uh, really enjoying the process 
seeing her, you know, look at lines, you know, with, uh, with her coach and, and really kind of dialing in on this new team. She kind of moved up from that B team to the A team this year. Yeah. I think that's been really good for her on the Montraker. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that this is her kind of peaking. I think that she'll just kind of continue to get better and better, just kind of like hitting her stride and she'll, she'll love Vattasol next week. That'll be yeah, great. Definitely. And uh, a few people have said to me since the race, who's Stacey Fisher? So, I know, yeah. Uh, a British lady who, uh, who put it into sixth place this weekend, her best, best result at, uh, at world level so far. And she's basically a, a privateer. I think she paid for pretty much all of her own kit, her bike, like paying to be here and just gradually chipping away and doing the hard work. Comes from a motocross background, I think. So Nico, I mean, you looking at the result sheet and being pretty impressed by that result. Yeah, we were uh, in the pit before I went out for my run, watching the live timing from the women's race, and she came down with a pretty fast time um, compared to, I guess, the the, the runs from the qualifying. Yeah, because I think she would have like won qualifying with that time. Yeah, and I and I remember Martin was in the pit saying, "Oh, Stacy Fisher did four four oh six or something," and um, I was like. Who's that? Never, <laughs> never heard of her before. Well, you peaked Martin's attention then, so that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Not a bad place to be. Yeah, congratulations, Stacey. That's an, that's an incredible result. Monica Harasnik, again, one of those riders that sits in that sort of top five capable. Sometimes it goes her way, sometimes not. Slid it into a fifth place this time. She looked good on track all week and uh, was running a pretty sweet kit setup as well. Yeah, I know. She always looks so good, like style-wise, kit-wise, bike-wise. Um, got to talk to her a little bit and yeah she was uh just loving the track said she felt really really good it's like kind of a really nice world championship week i think it's been good for her this season to continue that consistency she's she's made that jump into that top five most times we expect her to kind of be up there now which i think is always good uh to have that expectation of a rider it means that yeah you're doing something right when you're like oh yeah she's a you know She's on the podium. Yeah. Put her up there. Yeah, incredible. And one of the, if not, well, no, there are many standout performances, but definitely one of the top ones this week. Cami Belange, less than three weeks out of surgery for that broken collarbone from Monson Anne. Just shows the drive and determination that she came here, kind of wanting to give it a go, wanting to try and race. And I think I think she genuinely felt like a podium spot was was on the cars and she was super, super close, like less than a second, I think, away from that. Nika, that's pretty incredible, hey, to come out of surgery and just work with that pain and get going and work your way through the week because it would be easy to to either just back it all down or to maybe push yourself a bit too hard and, and have a problem. Yeah, I was super impressed. I didn't know that she was even thinking that she was racing for a medal. I, I, I thought her plan was to get some bike time to go try to get the World Cup overall next week. But, uh, I, yeah, I didn't even know that she was going to take the start. I thought she was just riding. But to get fourth with uh, three weeks after a collarbone, is, that's awesome. It's incredible, yeah. She said she ran the bike, like, a little bit softer earlier in the week just to help her get through it, but then knew the speed was going to go up, so just put her trust in a mechanic, told him to crank it all up and got on and rode it down the hill. Sometimes the adrenaline of, of racing takes, like, all that stuff away. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, something you can't replicate yeah and not the only rider riding through injury that's probably the most significant coming out of surgery but there's there's a few other riders that we'll talk about that that weren't in perfect shape let's talk about miriam nicole i had a couple uh good conversations with cammy actually where she um 
she actually said, you know, I wanted to ride here because I didn't know if I was going to be able to ride in Valdezol. Like it's much more rough, kind yeah. of like big compressions. And, um, and so I was like, oh, I didn't even really think about that. You know, you would, if you set out this race and then you go to Valdezol and aren't able to ride like the pain, if the pain is too much or whatever. And, uh, and so she was saying that if she felt like if she could get a top five, like she had that kind of pace, then she, um, she would race. And if she didn't, then, then she wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, like not practicing on that Friday yeah. and like kind of saving it up. And, and when it started raining, I was like, are you probably like are more stoked now that it's raining? She's like, yeah, it'd be good. Like slow the track down a little bit. Um, makes it a little bit more random where kind of anyone can take it. Uh, I usually like do good in the wet. So yeah, it was a kind of a, it kind of just like an interesting mindset, interesting, like turn of events that I wouldn't have expected. Right. Yeah, like yeah. I would have thought that her, all of her focus would, would it yeah. be on the world cup overall? Yeah. And I don't know if it's just the external pro projection from her, but she just always seems so calm and in control of her plan, her strategy, and nothing seems to, on, externally anyway, nothing seems to phase it, which is in, is really cool, right? She's a strong athlete for sure. Let's certainly, yeah, let's talk about Pom Pom. Won the qualifying. Guess felt like she was in a pretty strong position. And um, I heard from someone else that she's found or she feels like whenever she goes really hard this season, it's ended up in a crash. So she wanted to try and find that fast but not stupidly fast kind of pace which is really really hard to tap into i think and i think that's potentially what what cost her right she was she was up she was she on for an incredible time but really sort of seemed to lose time towards the bottom and and i think that bottom piece of the track nico was maybe although on the on surface looks relatively straightforward there was definitely some stuff to be won and lost there along even along that final straight into the finish yeah i mean i guess the way you enter it if you can come out of the woods with a lot of speed, that carries you pretty far. Uh -huh. And those jumps coming into the last turn were pretty terrible. So <laughs> even the first practice, like most of the elite men were not getting them. Yeah. They're just like spaced weird and they were um, too steep and too, the landings were weird shaped. So they were really difficult, which honestly by the race day was kind of cool that it made it technical for for the guys that it wasn't just a straightforward jump set yeah and you can see a couple of things shifted in that last split for the men's race too but for the women those jumps must have been even more technical uh -huh. because they were not straightforward yeah so for sure like coming out of the woods with speed and, and getting those jumps right would have been a separating factor yeah for their race definitely and someone that definitely sent those jumps hard in the final was nina hoffman no messing around there and the whole run, that looked like a world champs run. It had that like that looseness and that aggression to it. It was a really a cool run to watch. And uh, I, I saw a video of her in tears. Like she was super emotional with that result, silver medal at world champs, but only point nine off the win. That I know part yeah. of that must hurt, and part of it must feel great, I guess. Yeah, she had like an amazing bottom. Um, and when Pom Pom came through. Like saw her go and give her mechanic a hug because I think it was kind of like you were saying about Valley. Like I, I don't think anyone had her beating Pom Pom, uh -huh. and so when Nina beat Pom Pom, it was kind of like ah, I could totally be world champ yeah. now. You know? Yeah, 
yeah, insane. Congratulations, Nina. That's a wicked result. And then, yeah, Valley Hole. Um, she had a four-second buffer at some point on the track and seemed to kind of fade towards the bottom, Nico. Do you think that was maybe down to, like, timing and challenge of those jumps? I mean, Valley's not someone that struggles to have a bit of airtime and get, get the jump sorted, right? I don't think it was something she struggled with. I think maybe Nina just hit him really well and Valley crushed the, I guess, like the meat of the track, which was that middle section with all the steep, rooty bits. Um, it seemed like it was right up her alley and that's where she excelled and then just got it down to the bottom. Maybe a little bit more steady in the last split than than Nina did. Yeah, I think from speaking to her last night, she said that her crash in that final corner uh, last year was was going through her head so she sort of maybe wound it back a little bit even if she wasn't conscious of doing it but yeah incredible to see her take that after a season of uh, of ups and downs it's got to give her some confidence I think she'll be floating high coming into to Valder so we might see another classic Valley performance hey Elliot? Yeah for sure I mean watching that run it felt like a couple of people figured out the track and she was one of them where it didn't look like she was pushing. It just looked like she was going super fast. So she was super relaxed. She was kind of like locking her legs and resting where she could, um, but really just letting off the brakes a little bit more. This track, I think if you found that extra gear, uh, was it rewarded the people who were just trying to not override it. Uh, and so she just was super, super smooth. It was a, probably the that I can remember like the most impressive run that I've seen out of her yeah. out of all the runs that she's done interesting and I saw Stickman post that he's he's fairly convinced that uh, that makes Valley the youngest world champion since Ankaro in 1996 so she's getting that one uh, under her belt pretty early I know yeah now now it's it's like coming coming together where it's like oh yeah this is this is all what all that hype was about, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can only uh, it can only help that bit of confidence from this. All right, let's move on to the to the men's racing and we'll start with you, Nico. Tell us a bit about your run in itself, but also from an experience point of view, because I don't think we've ever had a World Cup with people trackside that deep pretty much the whole way down the hill. Yeah, it was amazing the crowds. I mean obviously if you look at any of the pictures from the finish you could tell that, but they were they were all the way down the hill. And you could hear the wave when we were at the top warming up of someone leaving the start, getting to the first wood, going past the lake in the middle section. Like you could hear the crowd following them the whole way down, which was really cool. And even though we're in France, so many people yelling the name of each rider. They knew who the riders were and they were supporting them. And you have a lot of mountain bike community in Morzine just five minutes down the road so a lot of people rode up here and watched the race and they know all the riders so to be competing in this race was super special and to get all the support from the crowd so many people that are so passionate about downhill racing was um yeah pretty special place to be yesterday I was honestly pretty happy with my run dudes were just flying I finished 49th which um nothing to write home about but uh yeah i tend to do better on the flatter tracks i don't know why maybe when i started racing there was less of these super steep ones and, <laughs> and more of the flatter ones i feel like i i over break maybe some people can relate in the in those steep sections and i feel like you just bleed time when you do that uh-huh. and uh yeah hopefully something I'm, I'm an old dog now i'm 29 but hopefully i can <laughs> work on that and uh and make some improvements i feel like honestly a lot of the races i'm riding really well and better than i probably ever have but so is everyone else at yeah, a, yeah. they're they're getting better at a an even 
better rate. <laughs> so it's difficult to to race these days. The guys are are going so fast, and I know I've said it before, but I just respect the competition, and I'm pr- proud to be out there doing my best. And yeah. uh, was cool to take part in that race yesterday. Good stuff, man. And how's the bike? Because you've been having a few issues with kind of cracking and stuff. You talked about fairly recently. Have you managed to get beyond that, or is that something you're still working through? Um, at this point in the season, like we're kind of working off of repaired frames, okay. which is obviously not ideal. Um, but you want to, yeah, we've got two more races and we want to get through to the finish. And, yeah. um, I've got so many things that I'm really excited to try. We've got a nine month off season. Um, and it, when you get to the end of a race season and you've got so many races back to back, it's like, you want to ride a setup that's you're, that you're familiar with yeah. more than changing at this point. But, um, yeah, I'm, uh, Frank repaired a lot of the frames that we had issues with, so we're we're just running through those to the end of the season, and as long as they can hold up and get us through the finish line next week, we'll be good. Uh, but after this, I'm, I'm really looking forward to trying some, some pretty cool stuff. Interesting. Does that play into your mind, or are you able to separate the fact that you're riding at warp speed down a mountain with a cracked frame from actually your performance on the day? Um, well... Our, luckily, like we, he repaired them to a point where, yeah, it would be better to start with a new frame. But um, there, I, I don't have any um, doubts in them. Okay. So, um, I, I guess I, I can do a good job of putting that to the side. Cool, good effort. <laughs> it's part of the development. I think uh, <laughs> one day when if I ever sell the bike, people can say that. Uh, I risked my life out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to make it. <laughs> You've done it for them so they don't have to, right? Good on you. Let's talk about Dakota. A decent run from Dakota. He beat the boss, took uh, seventh place with Aaron Gwynn in eighth. Must be uh, make for interesting conversations, but those two seem like pretty good friends, hey? Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like, for some reason, I don't know if it was just a Worlds this week or whatever, but... I didn't get to see him too much. Uh-huh. I didn't hear too much about him. Just kind of like quietly ticked off his laps, did uh-huh. his job, and like got this top ten. And he looked stoked. I mean, when I saw him on the hot seat, he was he was happy. And uh, and with Aaron as well, I think you know he was uh, he looked a little bit disappointed in his run. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I heard he was. I heard he mistakes. was pretty kind of up for it this week i think he thought there was a good chance like dusty conditions a mm. track that he seems to get on well with on form like coming off the last few races as well i think he just wanted more from the day from what i understand yeah and i think that'll probably be a little bit of a the next hurdle for him to overcome maybe is mm-hmm. is he the expectations from outside and i think internally were a little bit low and you know he's kind of been saying, you know, I, I feeling good, but you know, I'm still kind of building and now he's had these good results and it's kind of like, okay, I I can do it. And now you have a race like this where he's like, ah, okay, I'm on form and I want to go for a win. And so like kind of being able to actually execute on that, being able to perform when his own expectations are higher for himself. Yeah. Uh, I think will kind of be the next step for him to, you know, go and and take a win and stuff like that. I think maybe next weekend. <laughs> I know, huh? He hasn't raced Valdez Soul since seventeen. He's been out every year, 
and uh, I think that's the track that suits him the best. I know that was like that one. I think that everyone always talks about with Aaron. When 2012 out of soul winning by eight <laughs> seconds, <laughs> and it wasn't like a crazy condition either. Just like a normal day. Yeah, he just yeah. smoked. It was everyone. just beast mode, wasn't it? Everybody got down. Yeah, insane. Well, yeah, keep our eyes peeled for that. I want to talk about Thibaut Dupreda, a rider that's. I think had a had a really tough season. But like we say, he had that incredible qualifying performance, a time that with the crash, if he took that off, he would have been well in the lead, I think. It didn't quite back up into the race run, but it looked fast on the big screen and in the in the arena. Do you think, Nico, that this is a track that was kind of in a condition where it was relatively easy to sort of override it? Does that make sense? Like to just go a bit too hard and just bleed speed in, in sections? Uh, it, it definitely was. Um, I think... Yeah, you had to go for it, but you also had to be clean on your lines. It was easy to be slightly messy and, and like you say, bleed speed. But I don't know if that's what happened with Tebow. I talked to him after the race, um, and we were warming up at the top next to each other. And, and when I saw him after, I was like, what happened, dude? I, I thought you were, like, I really thought he was on for it yeah. based on his qualifying run and his experience on this track. And he said he just overbraked too much. He said he just rode too cautiously, thought, like, he had a he had the speed after the result from qualifying yeah. and didn't step it up that next level. So um, yeah, I think he's just he's super young still. Like it's only his is this his third year in the league? Yeah, I think so. so yeah, he's uh, I think he's especially after last year. Like what a unique experience to be in. He's still trying to figure out like what that pace is. Like how hard to push to where it's not too much yeah. and crash and then but also be uh, on for the podium or win so i think he just he he just missed it like he thought that he had the speed and rode too cautiously whereas the other guys really stepped it up for the final yeah fair comment let's talk about ollie zoar elliot a rider that we we've heard a bit about this season he's definitely had some some good results but an incredible sixth place from him like not not the biggest budget team but they're here doing everything they can for their riders i think two mechanics between four of them it's an impressive result, and uh, and he was pretty stoked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, they they were based out of here in in Morzine, that Santa Cruz Union team, and uh, yeah, Walker Walker Shaw, team manager, uh, Luca's brother, and they, I don't know, I I think that you know they, it's like a really good vibe. The Zwars work really hard. They train really really hard. Um. And I think Ollie's kind of stepped it up to that next year being, um, he was kind of one of those riders who could get a top 20, but yeah. now this year with two top tens. And I think with Andorra, you know, you could maybe argue that there were some conditions, you know, the track did get a little bit slower, but here for him to do it at world champs, like totally even track and stuff like that. And one of the things that I really that stood out to me was just how smooth he was. You know, yeah. it didn't look like, you know, compared to like a Tebow where um, Tebow looked, like you said, like he was going really fast. And I think this track rewarded riders who kind of just like let it roll. Mm-hmm. It was easy, you know, it was easy to overbreak or break late. Um, and you would kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't quite like a Valda Soul where if you break too late, you could just, or and like the old Andorra, where if you break too late, you could just let off the brakes and you could get back up to speed. I think here, if you break too late and your exit speed was low, it was really punishing because okay. there was a lot of long straights afterward. 
Uh, and so you saw Ollie kind of just letting off the brakes a little bit early. Instead of like moving his braking point back, he like, you know, let off the brakes a little bit early and let that speed kind of carry through the turns. So, uh, yeah, it was an amazing run. And I think seeing him on the hot seat, just, you know, ticking him off, had a big smile on his face, kind of surprised at a couple of, of spots uh, when he would beat, you know, one of the big dogs. It was it was cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the dude definitely deserves it too. He's come, he's, he's like steadily progressed over the last couple of years. He was telling me that um, 2019 was his first world champs mm. and he was working construction full time to fund his season when he went there. And um, his mom's Swedish and his dad's Australian and he grew up in Australia. And he and his family made the decision to move to Sweden and be on the Swedish world's team. And he said when you, I guess it's a rule, when you uh, want to change nations, you have to miss one world championship. That way people can't just swap back and forth if they're not selected or if they want to stack a team or something. So they made the decision to switch to Swedish and um, they get some funding from the Swedish national team for their whole season. <clears throat> they get uh, training up there too, which is, he told me was super helpful. And <clears throat> if he wouldn't have done that, he would have had to stay in Australia during the COVID because if you weren't a professional, like because he was just working to fund his season as a privateer, basically, then he wouldn't have been able to race the last two two seasons. No way! So in wow. the end, it like paid Holy off cow. big time yeah. that they they made that choice. And um, yeah, he's he was super stoked on it, and I just think it's cool to see the steady progression of riders, and and I'm sure that's a good feeling for him to achieve this result after that eighth in Andorra and be on the upward trajectory. Yeah, and the union is a development team. They want the riders there for a couple of years and then going on to bigger, better things kind of thing. So it's great yeah. to see that working. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure he'll get he'll get some offers for some bigger teams this next year and kind of make that jump to being, yeah, like you're saying, like full full pro, yeah. uh, like we saw with Kolb and, and people like that. Yeah, good on him. Let's talk about Laurie Greenland, the fifth place for him. A rough week. Uh, spent a lot of uh, at least some of the nights awake with things you wouldn't want to be awake in the middle of the night with uh, left him just breaking the beam and then coming back down on the lift for qualies um, but was up to speed managed the fifth place maybe there was more if he'd have had a better week but apparently also with a broken foot or at least he's off to get an x-ray does anyone have any insight I, apparently he, I saw him in the in the syndicate pit and he had a boot on like a you know task kind of thing and i was like what happened like is that in your run he's like no it's a run before so yeah. it's the last practice run i don't know uh what happened but yeah uh yeah i guess i guess the adrenaline is a hell of a thing <laughs> <laughs> he's had such a well i guess a great year all around but somewhat up and down by his standards where uh like fort william was amazing saint anne was amazing um was up to second in the overall at times and then also some bad luck like this and but to push through like those two major like being sick and then potentially breaking your foot and getting still fifth yeah yeah i think he is yeah like you're saying i don't think he's been in the conversation as much as he should be yeah like he is one of the top five guys i feel like at this moment uh but with a little bit of you know like Nico was saying, a little bit of ups and downs and stuff like that. I think he's kind of broke broke through that little barrier mentally to where he is 
like a robust <laughs> like top five rider like yeah, yeah. week in week out uh so i hope uh i hope next year goes a little bit more smoothly for him yeah some luck on his side and i think we see some even more incredible results right we've got one more non-french rider to talk about <laughs> troy brosnan had a pretty good go at uh breaking that top three lockdown that the french put in place in the end he said that he'd had the best run he could hope for he left it all out there and it did again it looked like a world champs run it was uh loose in spots and aggressive good to see him back on form eh, Nico? because another guy that's had a rough rough season with up and downs yeah i guess he's been building like he just started off with that injury that he got at aussie national champs and then came in at the third round and has been building up since then definitely was probably early to come back but thought he he thought that uh if he could get the races under his belt it would it would in the end be a quicker recovery than waiting so um yeah i think he's back to where he wants to be and well obviously wanted to win but being uh competing for a podium at worlds is like where where the dude should be definitely yeah and i feel like uh i feel like it's almost like a reset moment where he's now back up to that you know third fourth fifth kind of thing Mm -hmm. and now he can kind of click back in to what he was trying to do earlier in the year which was get that next little step um that next switch yeah uh to be winning races i feel like injuries are like however long you missed add that to how long it takes to get back to your level yeah once you get back and then how much everybody else has been improving in that time (laughs) right so right yeah yeah hopefully now he's like you said reset and can stay on the same train as these guys definitely be good to see more of that well let's talk about injured riders because all of the top three to some extent were carrying injuries the first of those in third place taking the bronze was uh was loris vergier a lot of people had loris down for the win this week his kind of track light rider light touch skips down tracks like this but obviously uh some kind of broken bone that i've never heard of in his in his shoulder and and i spoke to the mechanics from from track and said he was definitely riding in a bit of pain and was kind of struggling with compressions and being able to pull on the bike given all of that elliot like bronze at world champs incredible right yeah man i mean it was uh interesting because he was he looked so smooth all week like when i watched him when I watched him on the track, I was just like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, that's great. And we had that, we talked about it, you know, um, and I was like, I had him down for the win. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got to talk to his team manager and he was like, yeah, he actually hasn't, you know, done much. I think, especially after qualifying, people were like, ah, oh, okay, he's not in touch, whatever. Uh, he's like, you know, with that injury, he's got one run in him. And so it's really just been about like getting the bike set up, getting the lines and everything, and then laying it all out there for that one run. But I love watching him ride. Like, and he, he seems to um, kind of level up on these world championships. I remember 2018, I think, in Linzahide. That was one of the most incredible runs I'd ever seen by him because it, he, he rides like so deliberately. So like yeah. every movement, every turn where he puts his bike is just like inch perfect and uh i really appreciate that like that that's the way that i always strove to ride a downhill bike and so to see somebody actually execute um 
that is is really cool yeah and having that injury maybe maybe pushed him to ride even more like that because he's one of the smoothest riders on the circuit but if he's trying to make his life easier on his shoulder that's only going to get amplified yeah. i guess so yeah, yeah, yeah watching yeah, totally. him ride is if you've never had the opportunity you should go and watch that guy down a track because it's like it is i think i've said before but it's like art it's uh, it's incredible to watch all right let's move on to amory pier on a a huge history here right 2019 that win still gets replayed and shared like looks like it's sped up an insane run and it and i'm sure he remembers very much how that felt taking the win in front of the home crowd there he wanted this really badly her huh? like he's an upbeat kind of cheerful guy but i was watching the french uh kind of post-race uh stuff and they had a camera in the behind the podium and everyone else was sort of chatting and amory was just like sat on the floor on his own head in his hands i think this one really hurt him like he wanted that yeah and i think he he really believed that he could he was one of a couple of guys that looked like they could take it based on the speed they were riding in practice and uh a, a different style of Loris. like everything we just said about Loris being smooth and inch perfect Amari's more aggressive and charging and will just ride through anything and uh is one of the most exciting guys to watch because he's he's just so aggressive and i th- looked like he put together a good run i, I feel i feel like he probably everybody can look back and see that they made can, after a downhill race can make some mistake less but i think he can be proud of his run that he did and didn't throw it away by any means i think Loke just had that little bit better yesterday yeah let's talk about Loic, someone who's already uh i think got four world champion wins under his belt you could call him a world champ specialist and after yesterday you definitely can i mean coming in again injured after that dislocated shoulder a few weeks back at mont saint anne not riding 100 percent, but decided to to give it a go again looked great on track all week but potentially not the favorite i think after what we'd seen throughout the week and the qualifying results so to see him come down and put in that time in that one run that really counted like two and a half seconds is a huge gap on this track and it looks like the majority of that was made in in sector two and sector four he made about 1.1 seconds in both of those sectors yeah i mean I think that that, so the second sector was really long. I think it was like a minute 50 or so. Uh, and that was kind of the bulk of the track. Uh, had a lot of line choice, kind of the steeper bits and things like that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's funny because talking to Finn and, and Bernard about Amory and they were calling him like the dream crusher, right? Because he stole both of their wins. And it feels like Loic is that guy to Emery, right? Like we've seen Emery with his head in his hands, kind of like after snowshoe and, and these things. And so world championships is this race that is all about mentality and is, is like who can peak for this one moment. And I've kind of seen that over the years, like in snowshoe, with Loic saying, I want to qualify first. I want like all the pressure in the world on me. And it, and it makes him kind of find this next level. And here in France, you know, all the fans, your home race, he's never won in France before. You know, it's world championships. Um, you know, he's come back. This is, this is kind of his season because he hasn't had the best season 
uh, or like, you know, he's been injured and, mm. you know, not, he's not in the hunt for the overall or anything like that. So yeah, to see him, to see him do that was crazy. Like I, and it's funny because I was, I was actually talking to Chris Cole Murray before the race and he was like, you know, this track is one of those tracks that it rewards commitment. And so you could actually see an iconic run. You can let off the brakes. And so that was kind of, that was what I saw with him was just like, he was going faster everywhere. He was like, just had the speed. And, and, you know, like you said, to make up that much time in those lower sectors, which were only, you know, 25, 30 seconds yeah. was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. He was just like consistent. I think he was just like consistently better than everyone at every part of the track. Incredible work. And he has this, uh, still got this secret carbon box over his rear shock and uh, a little button on the handlebars with illuminated LEDs next to it that quite a lot of people spotted on the live feed yesterday. Yeah, Nico- I don't, or yeah, I don't know. Nico, Nico, do you know what those are? I heard he's like a, somebody was saying that they might be like a, like the suspension um, adjusts like for GPS stuff. Like, I don't know if he's like micromanaging that stuff or. I, Let's I speculate. Don't, I don't know. What <laughs> yeah. Let's wildly speculate. But it would have to be something that would change the suspension for the flatter sections um, to get more efficiency out of the bike. So what would you, if you had something that you could press, Nico, coming into that final sector, what would you want it to do? Oh, it would have more hydraulic support and possibly change the rebound. Okay. So that you can get more drive off those jumps. Slower or faster then? Faster? Uh, probably... Um, Maybe slower? Okay. I, I don't know. I, I think it's probably more to do with the, just more compression. Compression damping. Yeah. Just so that he's every bit of efficiency is going forwards down the track and not into yeah, soaking all, up. Everything you put into the bike is, yeah, driving you. Yeah. I wonder if that made much difference. I'd, I'd love to know what it actually is. I'm sure one day when it's all done and dusted, we'll find out what, what they were up to. Maybe but just a carbon cover and an LED light. It could well be just a mind <laughs> And then everybody else that was starting around him saw this thing on his bike and wondered what it was. Could well be. The French like the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool to see. I was stood quite near the hot seat and low. It was sort of crouched between, uh, between Troy and, and Loris. And you could see like the anticipation, oh yeah, totally. Like watching him and his body language as he, as he realised, and then when he knew it was his, insane like reaction from him. But then to stand up, look across, and see probably two or three thousand fans knocking the barriers over and running towards you, while the police wade in from the back of the the hot seat and try and fight them off. I would find that pretty intimidating. To be fair, I did even from a little bit of a distance, but. He absolutely loved it. It was so cool to just see him up there claiming that victory. So cool. And I I was saying, for a French kid in that crowd watching this happen, that has to be such an inspiration to want to be to want to be a pro downhill rider and want to go out and next time you ride, let off your brakes a little bit more (laughs) and ride a little bit harder and be a little bit more committed. And the French have so many fast guys right now, and this this energy that they have is uh is what's fueling that and i think we'll see more coming yeah no doubt it's only going to inspire people to 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 get some of that for themselves right and uh what a week or like two weeks i guess for specialized like to have uh to have finn take his first win and and then uh to to be world champ as well so definitely Laurent is uh yeah 
I know he's stoked. I saw him yesterday. They had a man. I've been waiting for it actually. Off topic, but I've been waiting for them to bring back the ham leg. You know, <laughs> I wasn't aware of this, oh, but you mentioned goodness. it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, tell us about that. Well, I don't know. I was I was thinking about trying to go prosciutto tasting while I've been over here because I've been super into prosciutto, and they they have like a like this super high end, like hundreds of dollars of of ham uh, that you can just slice. And they had it in the in the truck, so yeah, I got to uh, taste some really nice ham. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, specialized. But that, I mean, it's a team that's had up and downs, right? They've had races this season with no one racing. Yeah, and now yeah. they've got a huge win in Mont Saint Anne, and they've got the World Champs. It's not bad. And uh, just the, like the bikes as well, right? Because people were like, ah, that bike that Finn is on, like whatever. Like Finn was saying that. He's like, I think people are probably a little bit confused because it's like, oh, I went on the new bike. I, like Loic's winning on the old bike. Like, you know, it's it's just us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the bikes aren't in the end that much different. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's a prototype of something they're working on. But it's a few percent better. Right. So I think for, and and who knows if it is a few percent better, it's a few percent different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. It might be better for some riders, not for others. Who knows? I think Loic said that he just, after hurting his shoulder, didn't have enough time and wanted to ride what he was comfortable with, which is obviously a great bike. Incredible. Yeah, what a week. Um, uh, My first ever world champ, so I'm absolutely stoked to have been here. No way. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, never made it to one before. So it's been pretty exciting. But before we finish up, we've got to do the most important part of the week. We've got to do lit kit. And uh, I was thinking whether we should do shit kit as well, but maybe <laughs> maybe we shouldn't comment on that. We could uh, do lit bike. I think we should do lit bike as well. So, uh, Elliot, we'll start with you to give Nico time to think. <laughs> I, uh, I thought that... Uh Nina's kit was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that that was, that was cool. I feel like they they were, uh, they did a good job on her. She's had some really cool kits and bikes this whole year, but I thought that was sweet. And then um, I thought Bernard's bike was really nice, probably just because I like blue, but it was kind of this replica of a, of a Porsche. Mm-hmm. And they painted the sponsors onto the bike as well, nice. which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. I'm going to take... Troy Brosnan, I think uh, I think that all those Troy lead kits look really good on the on the collective guys, but Troy's was my favourite. That really stood out, and um, and then lit bike I'm going to give to Phoebe Gale. So I think all the canyons look pretty cool in that silver, but I mean props for getting chrome lowers for your Fox Forks. Yeah. I know you're a bit jealous of that Nico. That certainly certainly took my attention. That bike looked pretty cool. What are you going for? I agree with the canyon. I think the the bikes looked good. Like both the the black box boxer and the the black box boxer and the 40 with the chrome lowers both looked really good uh-huh. um and i don't want to pat myself on the back but i was <laughs> i was stoked with my kit Nor- normally i ask for black and white like nothing crazy and i just thought my fox kit that was all I white agree, with the, actually. Yeah. yeah with yeah, the yeah. navy blue on totally. the front and the red on the back like i couldn't see the back i preferred the navy blue and white <laughs> But uh, I, I, I was honestly like, if it wasn't mine, I would say the same. I was, it was, <laughs> it was a very cool kit. Really nice. yeah, yeah. yeah, we've talked about it in the week that maybe you're uh, in touch for that award. So I'm glad you gave it to yourself. Hey, somebody's got <laughs> 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 I give myself something. <laughs> Cracking. Well, it's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure sitting down uh, in a car park outside your van, Nico, for, uh, for the post-race chit-chat. Um, looking forward to doing it all over again for the final time this season. I can't believe we're at the end. 
nearly already, but we'll see you in Valdezol in a few days and hope we will have a good week out there too. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, sounds good. All right, that's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. What an incredible world championships that was. I really hope you've enjoyed hearing more about it. A huge thank you to Maxis for supporting this season and making it possible for me to be here. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride, so head over to maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. I've been using the DHR Max Terra in the back and the Asagai Max Grip in their new XO Plus casing up front and it's a combo that's working super well for me, so why not check it out for yourself? Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you want a copy of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>